Attention all mortals, veterans and civilians alike. It's time to buckle up and get ready for a wild ride because you just tuned in to the Swandingo Files. Your host, Steven Swanson, is here to help you navigate the crazy world of transitioning from military life to civilian life. And let me tell you, it's a bumpy road, but with a little bit of humor and a lot of determination, we can make it through together. And welcome back to another episode of Swan Dingo Files, where the dango is your baby. Today, I have special guest, Sarah Boyd, fellow veteran, but apparently she's finding out some crazy stuff about shots that I just kind of want to hear about, because I know those shots can't always be good, so we're going to find out more on this episode, and hopefully my arm doesn't fall off in the middle of it. So, how's it going, Sarah? <laughs> It's going great. Thank you so much for the opportunity to come and tell my story and maybe bring a little bit of light to the subject that most don't want to talk about. Well, we kind of need to talk about it because there's a lot of stuff coming out today, especially. And most of us know that, well, we're not going to go into that. I don't want to go too crazy into conspiracy theories, but most people know that stuff that they give us is a lot of times experimental. While you're in the military, you don't have a choice. While you're in, you have to take it. But today we're going to talk about why you joined, what you did while you're in, and then kind of what unraveled and how it all kind of happened. So if you want to take it away, why did you join the Army? Thank God you joined. All right. Well, thank you so much again for the opportunity. And I just wanted to touch on what you said. A lot of those so-called conspiracy theories are now fat. Um, that we are, 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 are seeing now across the globe. So, um, those individuals that you might have thought were a little crazy, a little bit nuts, a little bit out there, you know, maybe you should take, take a little bit of notice to what they're saying because some of that is truth and it's coming from reputable sources. So with that being said, take what I'm about to tell you with that same note that what I'm telling you has came from reputable sources, our own government, is diagnosing our U.S. citizens with vaccine injury, and it's been going on for a long time. So with that being said, my name is Sarah Boyd. I'm the president and founder of Operation Truth Vaccination Exposure Research, a 501c3 charity I built to bring awareness to vaccine injury, our vaccine-injured veterans, service members, and uh, civilians across the globe, and the fact that our government leaders and our medical personnel are doing nothing to assist our vaccine-injured demographic. In fact, they're doing this the opposite, putting out false information, claiming that vaccines are safe and effective for all, and doing nothing to help my patient demographic. So that's what brought me here today. And what brought me into the Army was at the age of 17, actually, at the age of 15, the recruiters came to my high school. I was a freshman at that time, and I came up to them and said, yes, I would like to join the military. And they said, well, you're too young. Come back in a couple years. So I said, all right. So I came back at the age of 17, decided to first go in the Marines. But then I decided that was a bad route because not only did I not get to choose what job I wanted, um, I didn't get a bonus. And so at that time, back in 1997, the Army was supplying a $40,000 college excuse me, college fund for four years of active duty. So it's like, wow, I get $40,000 and I get to choose what my job is. All right, let's do this. So unfortunately, I 
was born dyslexic. So if you are unfamiliar with what that is, it's a lot like ADHD. It's a frontal lobe issue. And it's a challenge for educational purposes and, and many other things. So I took my ASVAB test just like every other high school test with no accommodations, and I came back with uh, three opportunities in the Army, to be a fueler, uh, a mechanic, or a cook. And so I was like, I'm not getting up that early doing all those dishes. I am not cooking. I am not. I, I like mechanics. I worked on my own vehicle. I had a 1974 Volkswagen Bug that I did all kinds of work on, and so I didn't want to do heavy wheeling. So I decided to go fueler. It's four years. I'll get forty thousand dollars. I'll get out and go to college and determine what I wanted to do at that point. Well, um, I decided military was going to be my career. I um, at the my first duty station, I met my husband, my first husband, and the father of my two children. We decided to get married and have a family, and we both made the military a career. He got out before I did um, because he got injured. He went to Iraq and, and Afghanistan. He went to Iraq in 03 and Afghanistan in 05. And he ended his military service, I believe, uh, as a E5 with eight years. So he did, you know, a great term of service. And he is now an RN, continuing to serve. Um, so I can I stayed in the military a little bit longer so that he could go, uh, go to college. And I decided to change my MOS. I changed my MOS two different times. Uh, I um, got out of the military for a few months right before 9-11 because they tried to send me to Korea, and I just had my daughter. She was only four months old. So I got out on the family care plan. I was out for four months, and then 9-11 happened. So I came back in. Uh, my husband at the time and I both came back in October of 2001, and I changed my MOS to be an administrator. Because that's all I did as a fueler. They put me in the office and I did administration. So I got a kick-ass job working on the general staff at First Corps in Fort Lewis. I got I got to go to Thailand for a Cobra Gold exercise, just all kinds of fun things. But I could never get promoted. You will never get promoted in the administrative field. There's just too much saturation. So um, I decided to change my MOS. I went back to school, raised my GT score, and I was able to do anything I wanted in the in the army. So I decided to become a counterintelligence special agent. So I went in 2006 down to Fort Huachuca and I went through a very difficult, mentally challenging school to become a spy. And that's what I did for the last two years in my military service. Um, I came down on orders to Korea again, and uh, that was the end of my military service. Throughout my military career, I was in for 10 years on active duty, from 98 to 2008. I had received about six different anthrax shots on record, um, several more probably. I've got smallpox, uh, Japanese encephalitis, many different uh, vaccinations that we all receive to go overseas or be military ready for deployment. Um, so when I went to Korea in 2007, I received two anthrax vaccines and a smallpox vaccine on record within a 48-hour period. That is not supposed to happen. No, I, I thought uh, that's definitely – no, that's two anthrax. I thought, yeah, that right there is like – yeah. Yeah. 
So, you know how the military industrial complex works. They don't really think about those things. They think about military readiness. We got to get you overseas. Let's get these in you. So, um, I got my vaccinations and I, within 30 to 45 days of getting to Korea, I was on quarters, just extremely sick. Um, I had extreme abdominal pain and I had to go to um, get a CT scan in the Korean sector. So I had to get an interpreter to come with me. I had no idea what they were saying. This whole process, it was quite, um, quite <laughs> challenging to say the least. But I got the CT scan and there was found to be either endometriosis or some type of fibroids in my abdominal cavities. So they sent me back to uh, the stateside to go through a medical board process. And um, it was quite a lengthy process. It was uh, a brand new unit at Fort Lewis. That they were just, you know, starting up and getting to understand the process of putting people out through a med board. Um, so there was a lot of things that weren't done correctly. Um, I should have been medically retired. I was medically chaptered. Um, there was a lot of things that they didn't know back then that they know now about my case. They had no indication that it was vaccine injury back then. Um, but in the same respect, they did because the Department of Defense and the VA has been researching this for decades. So they should know and be very much aware of how it presents in the body. But throughout these 10 years on active duty, within the first two months of my basic training, I had um, was called lymphedema. And both of my legs were so filled with uh, edema, so filled with, you know, so swollen that they thought it was just from overactivity and basic training. But later on, we figured out that it was lymphedema. And so what that means is the lymphatic system is is part of your immune system. And when I did this, the root cause analysis with the top um, researchers at the War-Related Injury and Illness Study Center in Palo Alto last year, I presented this information to them through root cause analysis, and they agreed with me that the vaccine, more likely or not, the anthrax vaccine or smallpox vaccine, attacked my lymphatic system, started there, went into the central nervous system, uh, did irreparable damage to my autonomic nervous system, causing autonomic neuropathy, entered the brain blood barrier, or the brain through the blood brain barrier, because of whatever substance was in that vaccine, caused that ability to get into the brain. And so we have research that has been conducted through the VA and independent studies that were uh, mandated through Congress through um, the, the early 2000s, 106 Congress did this investigation into the anthrax vaccine process because from 97 to early 2000s, it was mandated that 100% of all service members get the anthrax vaccine called the Anthrax Vaccine Immunization Project because of the biodefense um, weapon scare globally. And so they thought that it would come here, and it did. If you remember the anthrax attacks mm. shortly after I, 9/11. Yep, I do remember briefly, but it seemed to kind of like go away pretty quick. And yeah, I remember it was getting shipped in mail to certain people around the United States. Yeah, I, I know a lot of shit. That was 
Oh my God, that's what, 20 plus years ago? Wow. So as I stated before, you know, reputable sourced information is what I'm telling you. So what I'm speaking to you and telling you that the anthrax attacks was investigated by the FBI and they determined that it was not a terrorist attack, that it was from the inside source and they conducted this investigation. They were working with the lead anthrax vaccine researcher, Dr. Irvin I just spaced his name. Uh, excuse me. But anyway, anyway, the lead researcher of the anthrax vaccine was working with the FBI to determine who put the anthrax in the mail. Then the FBI switched on him about seven years into the investigation. Excuse me, investigation. They determined it was you, Dr. Bruce Irvin, I think his last name was. You were the one that put it in, in the mail and you're our prime suspect now. So he couldn't believe that the FBI turned on him. There was no way that it was him. All this evidence, you know, was not pointing towards him. And so he took his life, apparently, with Tylenol. So I that. Did, I didn't know that was, honestly, I didn't know that was possible. I mean, how much Tylenol would you have to take to. I don't I, know. I don't, I don't say that actually on, a, on this. I don't say <laughs> that because it's got to be an. If, a freakish amount, I would think. So, I have no idea, but I, you know, pharmaceutical drugs can be very damaging. I can imagine that it's possible. I just know that that's what the FBI claims that Dr. Brzezivin took his own life with Tylenol as a result of the FBI uh, claiming he was their prime suspect in the anthrax attacks back in 2001. So we still have no idea who put anthrax in the mail. And what we're trying to do for Operation Truth is to find out what ingredients are in the anthrax vaccine. If we are going to properly diagnose and treat vaccine-injured veterans, service members, or civilians, we need to know what ingredients are in these vaccines to effectively treat because otherwise we're just treating the symptoms and having no clue what is causing the damage overall. So when we think about things like burn pits or um, depleted uranium or any of the other uh, listed toxins that the VA uh, claims that cause chronic multi-symptom illness or what is what used to be called Gulf War illness, um, vaccines are part of that. And the VA has been conducting research on this for decades, since the 90s, to determine what that is. You know, why some individuals, just like those that go to Iraq or Afghanistan or at Camp Lejeune are exposed to any other environmental toxin, why only some are, are damaged and not others? And why only some who get the vaccines become, you know, ill and not others. And so there's a genetic anomaly that needs to be found. And they know this and they have done this successfully with the treatment of malaria. They being the Department of Defense have determined who is more susceptible to injury from the malaria protocol. Like if you're going to Africa, for example, those individuals that have that biomarker would get a different protocol for malaria instead of the usual protocol that would make them sick. So there's a way to determine for each antigen, for each vaccine to 
determine who's more genetically predisposition to get injured in this way. We as a nation have placed vaccines to be safe and effective for all with this narrative having no idea and understanding that each individual has an individual immune system and that treatment protocol is not going to be reactive in the same in each individual. And so there are different ways that we can reach this so-called herd immunity that we don't have to do just solely relying on vaccinations alone. A lot of times when an individual gets like COVID antigen, for example, that is a stronger response than the vaccine itself. So you have a stronger antibody buildup against that antigen than you would with the vaccine. So what our our nation is failing to do is determine what that herd immunity is for both of those, the vaccinated and those that have um, have reached herd immunity through other means of actually getting the antigen and building the antibody. So what you're telling me is, is okay, because we, I don't want to like, yeah, okay, no, fuck it. We're going to just go that way. Um, so we were told on the news by everybody that herd immunity wasn't, you know, you had to get the vaccine. I didn't get the vaccine. That's why I moved to Texas. I said, nah, because I already had it twice, and it wasn't that bad. I literally gave my mother-in-law, who's diabetic and overweight, vitamin D, C, and something else. She got it. She's 60 years old or 50, was 59 at the time. Nothing happened to her. Like, no symptoms. It's fucking nuts. <laughs> Me being a smoker. And, well, Oh, yeah, by the way, day two of not smoking, going awesome. Not really. Um, getting kind of pissy. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, a smoker and a drinker, you know, never taking care of myself. I had it the worst out of everybody, but it's like, I'm not going to put that in my blood. So, how, so herd immunity is literally more important than a vaccine. Well, in order, that's the whole or, purpose. Well, of your, your immune system, you catch it, the actual virus, you're going to get more, so you get more immunity from it. It depends on the level of strength of that antigen once you get infected. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you don't get infected as much to build that antibody, and then you can get sick again. We've seen this with people with chickenpox and different other antigen or uh, invasions. But when you take a vaccine versus an antigen, the majority of the individuals healthy individuals are going to be able to fight off that antigen without needing an additional substance. The reason why we vaccinate is so that it can decrease that antigen invasion. For example, let's talk about the COVID protocol because it's not a vaccine. Giving the, the COVID protocol is supposed to decrease that COVID antigen's response so that when you do get COVID, you're not as sick. But when we think about the individual immune system, regardless if it's a human, bo or human body, regardless if it's a healthy body or a not so healthy body, each individual immune system is going to react differently. So when we have a narrative of everyone is safe and effective and can take these vaccines, we are 
creating a, a further problem of more vaccine injured, more patients who can't get vaccinated because it would it would be more risk for them to do so, therefore decreasing herd immunity overall through vaccination. And we have to do another way of getting herd immunity, which is the only way, and is is getting that uh, antigen built up and building that antibody yourself without having additional assistance. So when we think of herd immunity, yes, you can reach herd immunity without vaccinating, without vaccinating. But the sole purpose of vaccinating as many as you can, I believe the what is needed to reach herd immunity through vaccination is 60 percent of the population to decrease the amount of you know, antigen spread. Um, but you can still get that through just antibodies alone. You don't have to have it through vaccination. And so throughout this pandemic, I was calling every, you know, um, uh, Congress member that I could, uh, telling them, you know, why aren't we tracking the um, titer tests? Titer tests are really important. We need to know where our antibodies are right now for those that aren't vaccinated, for those who got the covid uh, you know, antigen and already build those antibodies. This is important data we need to know so that we can determine if we've reached herd immunity without vaccinating. And of course, that was not listened to because that's not part of the overall narrative. And we could talk about that for hours as to why our government worldwide would push a, vac- a protocol like they did during a pandemic without additional ivermectin without additional cannabis without additional possibilities of treatment protocol yeah that uh, man i we could definitely take that on for hours and hours probably an entire day of why they didn't adhere to herd immunity do not and i know there was tests out there and all that kind of stuff um but it was like I know why they won't push a shot. I know why they do. It's kickbacks and all this other stuff. So you get billions of people taking around the world. How much money do you think these drug companies are getting? And these drug companies are criminal or criminal corporations. So, but how's your recovery going right now? And I know it's, you know, I know it, it was pretty, I know it's tough. I just like, are you still recovering today? Are you still going through anything right now? It's a daily occurrence. When we think of our veterans and what we used to call Gulf War illness and what is now chronic multi-symptom illness, it affects every body system uh, throughout systemically. So what it happened to me and what has happened to many that have chronic multi-symptom illness is that um, it uh, affects the uh, autonomic nervous system i'm having a flare right now so i'm it's difficult for me to get through but i bear with me so what part of that is tremors i have tremors throughout my body i have uh, tremors on my face as you were experiencing that earlier um I wear these dark tinted glasses because I have uh, hypersensitivity to light due to a condition called keratitis, which is an inflamed cornea. And what my eye doctor explained to me, it's like having a TBI, traumatic brain injury. So 
what we we think about what the vaccination has done is injured those like me. It broke broke through that blood brain barrier. And what I was speaking to earlier is that we've conducted research to determine there is anthrax in the brain of these individuals. So more likely or not, without, of course, doing further testing, there's anthrax in my brain causing further damage as a result. And what we are seeing in a pattern of behavior of other vaccine injured is that same pattern of breaking through the blood-brain barrier, causing damage to the facial nerve, irreparable damage, Bell's palsy, um, I just have a, a patient in Canada that was awarded um, uh, reward. Um, excuse me, um, what's that called when you're vaccine injured? Compensation for her Bell's palsy that was caused from a Pfizer vaccine in Canada, and so um, we're seeing the same pattern of behavior, whether it's the anthrax vaccine, COVID vaccine, or other adjuvant-induced vaccines. Now, adjuvants are ingredients placed into vaccines, making them stronger. In the uh, COVID vaccine, it was the, um, uh, it's a semi-particle, something similar to uh, squalene, um, nanoparticle. And so it can do a, um, a lot of damage getting into many different cells of the body. Um, in the anthrax vaccine, because we don't know what ingredients that we're in, but we have seen reputable research to determine that it was both the aluminum adjuvant and the squalene adjuvant. We know what those those adjuvants do to bodies of other patients, so then we can do a root cause analysis to determine how that's presenting in our veteran patients. And that's exactly what I did with RISC last August. And so Dr. Ashford is the lead researcher at the War-Related Injury and Illness Study Center out of Palo Alto, and he agreed. And what he was seeing in this pattern of our veterans with Gulf War illness or chronic multi-symptom illness is autonomic neuropathy. Several veterans have autonomic neuropathy, and how it presents is it causes gastroparesis, it causes POTS, it causes peripheral neuropathy. It causes um, multiple other gastric issues. It causes Raynaud's, which is an inability to control your temperature. It causes keratitis or hypersensitivity, different issues. So when you think of the autonomic nervous system, it's your fight or flight, your rest or digest, or your freeze or free, flee, flee <laughs> brain work. Uh, so... When that is interrupted or damaged, every single stimuli that comes into the body has a hyperactive reaction. It's like you're constantly in fight or flight mode. So your body, you know, it has, uh, you know, it reacts hyperactively to everything. So on top of that autonomic neuropathy, our veterans also have things like lymphedema, um, you know, uh, Raynaud's phenomenon, just several different um, chronic autoimmune issues, connective tissue diseases that we need to find the root cause. Because if you don't find the root cause, all we're doing is creating more damaged patients. And that's what the VA has been doing, spending over $500 million to, to determine. With And we still have no diagnostic or treatment protocol.
No, because you got the government doing it, unfortunately, and a lot of times the government steps on their own toes and or too much red tape gets involved when it comes to the government. They need to just push it out to somebody that, you know, unfortunately a private one, which I don't, you know, there's still cartels, but, you know, the drug, all pharmaceutical companies are cartels. But let me ask you, so when, um, so you got your fifth, you took your fifth shot, right? And then, okay, how long after your fifth shot was it that it started to, you started to notice something different? Because I know you took the fourth and fifth together, then the smallpox. So how soon was it? It was within 30 to 45 days after landing in Korea. So, okay. So you've been dealing with this for how many years now? And I, I can clearly tell you're still dealing with this now. I still, I started in 1998 with lymphedema. Okay. And then it went from there. While I was still on active duty, uh, Raynaud's phenomenon. Well, I got, I had permanent profiles while on active duty to, um, walk instead of run because I was in so much pain. I couldn't run anymore. Um, I had cysts and all my joints swelling. Um, and then I had a permanent profile to wear any type of cold weather gear I wanted no matter what it looked like. So I, I tried to get away with as much as I could on that one. But with Raynaud's, you know, it's one of those that you can get a lot of damage if you don't uh, make sure that you stay warm or cool because I can't regulate my own temperature. And so from there, from Raynaud's, I just had, you know, cysts, and um, I ended up getting diagnosed with endometriosis I started having nerve-related issues like restless leg syndrome, neuropathy, um, degenerative disc disease. All of these things were what I was diagnosed with before I was even med-boarded from the military. And they, and you, are you getting anything from the VA or the, anything at all? I'm currently uh, get paid at the hundred percent uh, rate. I was at, I was living in Texas at the time. Texas by far has the best veteran service officers out there. They are employed as GS workers. Uh, Texas is definitely taking care of their veterans. I was able to get um, I'm currently ninety percent, but I get the unemployable because uh, I'm not able to work, so I get a hundred percent. Uh, total and permanent as a result. I'm not even, um, uh, what's it called, service-connected for my vaccine injury. I'm only service-connected for two medical conditions. What two are those ones? Uh, Raynaud's phenomenon and endometriosis. Okay. Well, I'm glad you're getting something, honestly, because I, I was really hoping that you weren't getting completely screwed over. I mean, I, I, know, I know it, yeah, but it's just... The horrible thing is, though, if you are uh, a veteran and you pass away from something that you're service-connected for and you, you're not service-connected officially, then your next of kin won't get you know, those funds and benefits. So when you're doing this compensation and pension process, it's imperative that you do fight to ensure that you are service-connected for your most extreme medical conditions, the ones that could cause you harm in the long run and, you know, potentially your death at the end. I'm glad you said that because I, I, I wasn't too sure. I've never even heard of that part because I'm 90% service-connected, uh, medically retired. Uh, 2017 is when I got medically retired. But, but well, I appreciate you coming on, Sarah. I really do. And 
that's a lot of information to give and a lot of stuff to think about. And I'm so sorry that happened to you. I got nine, nine of the uh, anthrax vaccines and I don't even know what else we took. Some pills in 2003 that weren't FDA approved. And, but I guess we were just damn guinea pigs for the military. And, but, but I appreciate you coming on, Sarah. And, uh, That'll be all for this episode of the Swan Dingo Files with Sarah Boyd. They're not conspiracy theories, guys. They're actually real. Um, and they're proven it every day. The COVID vaccines, all these anthrax that probably didn't need. It's, yeah. You guys need to follow Sarah and make sure you, you know, see everything she's doing. Well, folks, that's all we have for today's episode of the Swandingo Files. I hope you've enjoyed this journey with your host, Stephen Swanson, as much as he enjoys recording it. Remember, transitioning from military life to civilian life is tough. But with a little bit of grit, a dash of humor, and a lot of determination, you can overcome any obstacle. So until next time, keep on trucking, and keep Swandingoing.